You are listening to KTOO News Juno. The following is a broadcast of Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event. The seven personal stories you are about to hear were told on September 12th at the Northern Light United Church. The theme for the evening was Playtime. Live music was performed by Nijuzu Marimba Band. Welcome to Mud Rooms. We are so happy you're here. This is our seventh season. This is my fourth year as a storyboard member. My name is Steve Suing. Uh, I have to ask, are there any first timers in the room? Just show of hands. First timers. All right, welcome. Let's give them a round of applause. Yeah, welcome. I think it always amazes me that we're this far along in mudrooms and there's still people that are finding about for the first time. So if you like what you hear tonight, if you enjoy the event, share with your friends. Uh, you have your own stories. And if you're not willing to get up here and tell them on stage, we will find you. <laughs> or you can go out and find a storyteller that you know and say, hey, there's this amazing event. You have this amazing story. I think you should tell it. And just sign them up. It doesn't necessarily have to be you. So there's a couple ways that you can do that. Mudrooms.org is our website. We've got all our stories archived there. We've got our upcoming events. We've got all the great details about what Mudrooms has been for the last six years. And uh, also our Facebook page is a great place to uh, keep up with us, remind yourself when Mudrooms is, hear what the next event is, and you know, you'll find your friends, neighbors uh, telling stories, and you'll find out when that is. Uh, so this is uh, kind of a big thing for us. I don't, I, I don't actually know the history of it, but seven kinds is kind of a big number for us, I guess. Uh, so we've got seven storytellers, seven-minute stories. You paid a suggested donation of $7. Maybe some of you gave a little bit more because you like the cause. Um, and this is our seventh season. So um, as you may or may not know, uh, we are disorganization, Mudrooms is. And the people that you gave your money to tonight are affiliated with the organization and the project that we're supporting for this specific mudrooms, and that is Project Playground. <laughs> it depends on who you talk to and when you talk to me. Uh, it is about the stories, but I'm very proud to say in the last six seasons, mudrooms has passed on $80,000 to nonprofits in our communities. So. So real briefly, uh, if you're like me, you're wondering what's going on with Project Playground and what's going on there. So Mike Goldstein, who's the chair of the steering committee, is going to come up here and talk real briefly about what's happening with our new playground. Welcome, Mike, to the stage. Thanks, Steve. And thank you, Mudrooms, for having us open your seventh season. We are very, very grateful. The playground, as you know, uh, we have some insurance funds. And we've been fundraising quite a bit since then with our partners, the Juno Community Foundation and SAIL and all of you. What we're hoping to do is have a designer on board really soon, within the next few weeks, and then we'll start doing some community outreach. And our goal, it's, it's not to find a whole new design for a playground. It's to 
do what we did before and do it a little better. So we're gonna improve safety and accessibility and we've taken a lot of your comments to heart already and we're gonna be asking for more. And there might be some thematic changes. We might be able to increase um, and do better playground surfacing overall. There's a variety of different things that we can do. We're gonna be taking your input, we're gonna be working with designers and contractors and our goal is to have kind of a mixed contractor build and community build. We're hoping to build next summer and we will get all the information out to you and thank you so much for supporting Pro Project Playground and if you wanna pick it, we've just opened the doors to buying you know, the fundraising fence pickets and that is something that you can put your name on or the name of a loved one on. And our partners are in the back. You can get one today, or if you look at the form, there's ways to do that as well. It's gonna be one of our primary fundraisers in the fall. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Mike, for that update. Um, so seven talked about that. We've got seven storyboard members that make this happen. Uh, it's going to happen nine times this year. And um, Tom Cosgrove and Alita Bus are some of the founding members, um, part of the storyboard. Um, they're going to be co-hosting this evening. We've got Rich Moniak, who's back on the sound. And Sarah Hannon is running around. She was in the front. And Patrick Roach um, is one of our storyboard members. And our newest storyboard member who's been taking photos for the last season and a half or so is Melissa Griffiths, who's right here at the stage. So, And it's also made possible by um, some of the folks that supported Mudrooms from the very beginning. Uh, that's the Rookery Cafe that um, helps us out with the cookies that you may have purchased on the way in. Copa, who uh, donates the coffee. They've been doing that for many years. And uh, Northern Lights Church, which is a great place uh, to have this event. And KTO, who's been a great partner for us uh, from the start, helps us out to get the word out in Juno afternoon and also read Broadcasting Mudroom. So give our sponsors and our board members a nice round of applause. Last but not least, it's uh, the storytellers that take the stage and it's the people that attend these events. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This is a great place to connect. I feel really uh, lucky to be a part of this and uh, I'm ready for the seventh season and the premiere event. So please welcome to the stage, Tom Cosgrove and Alita Buss. So we've got an interesting group of people here today. We got someone that's repeating that we've seen before, and we have one of our youngest participants that we've ever had. So uh, it's an interesting group, and it's a good group to kick off with. So shall we? Let's do it. All right. Rachel Wood is a very social and theatrical 11-year-old who has a twin sister named Kira. She was born in Juneau and loves reading, theater, traveling, and telling tall tales. Please help me welcome to the stage, Rachel Wood. Hi, my name is Rachel Wood, and Project Playground was a big part of my childhood. My twin sister, Kira, and I shared some of our greatest memories there. I am here with you today to share with you some of those memories. It was a dreary day in the November of 2013. Kira and I were seven, and we were getting really, really bored at home, and so we decided to walk down to the playground. Once we got to the playground, we found out that no one else was there. It was like a dream come true. 
<laughs> we ran around and played on every single piece of equipment. We paraded around like queens. It's awesome. Then Kira's gaze landed on the green twisty slides, and she, being the competitive sort, challenged me to a race up the slides without shoes on. It was pretty tempting, so I took the chance. I stepped in the slide without my shoes, but I found out what I couldn't see from the outside. The insides were coated with ice. That would make it a little bit harder. So I started up the slide. Every step I took, it seems like I fell behind two steps. It was almost impossible to get up the slides. But finally, finally I made it up the slides. But I found out Kira and I had tied. So we needed a tiebreaker, so we decided to race down the ice castle. We could either run down the zigzagging staircase covered with ice, bird poop, etc., etc., or we could slide down the green twisty slides coated with ice that we had just worked so hard to climb back up. For the sake of my feet, I voted the slide. Another one of my most recent memories is when I was in fourth grade, the end of the school year picnic, and the lucky destination was Project Playground. Once we got there, the teachers were desperately trying to grab our attention to explain the rules, but our gaze was only focused on the playground. It almost glowed in the sunlight with all its vivid colors. Immediately after the teacher stopped talking, we rushed in the playground, and in a matter of seconds, there was a game of zombie tag going, capture the flag going, and freeze tag. All too soon, the teacher called lunchtime. Well, they do say, time flies when you're having fun. After lunch, the teacher distributed popsicles. After all the popsicle sticks were licked clean, we ran back in the playground, and this time only one game was started, a great game of epic hide-and-go-seek. After the tagger started counting, everything went quiet. Pe kids were rushing everywhere trying to find the best hiding spot possible before the time ran up and before someone else took it. My favorite place to hide is under the walkways that wind around the ice castle because you can always see people before they see you and skedaddle to keep it that way. Those were the good old days. <laughs> I remember the day Project Playground burnt down like it was yesterday. The fiery playground with a big black column of black smoke rising into the clouds, fire trucks everywhere, people coming of their, out of their houses to get a closer look, almost our entire block gathered at the corner to see the playground. It was a heart-wrenching sight. The day after the playground burnt down, my friends and I had a funeral for the playground we had loved. Even though they are rebuilding Project Playground, I know this one will never replace the old one in our hearts. Kids, they say you should play, but never, ever play with fire. Yeah. Okay, our next speaker this evening is Michael Christensen. He's the director of the nationally performing steampunk improv group, Cogs 
and goggles. He's been writing poetry since before your parents were old enough to vote. It's only one poem, but it's very, very long. The most recent excerpt is available in the 15th anniversary edition of Tidal Echoes. He has also performed stand-up comedy once every seven years since the mid-80s, like some kind of weird comedy circada. No one knows why. Michael, please come to the stage. So I bought one of those cheap, useless mirrors and I put it on the wall in my office. OCS had commissioned Ivan Zerbitz, you know, the Ketchikan artist, to do a series of posters, and one of them said playtime. Only in the mirror it said emit Yelp, which <laughs> of course reminds everyone here of Whitman's famous line from Song of Myself, I emit my barbaric yelp over the rooftops of the world. <laughs> I don't know what that means. So I took a quiz on Facebook, and through a series of seemingly random questions, highly scientific algorithms, and looking at my birth date, predicted that I was 41 years old, which is exactly correct if you count from the time of my death until now like I do. I was killed in a motorcycle accident on July 3rd, 1976. We'll get back to that. When I was growing up, I didn't have a real good idea of what constituted being old. I remember in kindergarten thinking, what if somebody really old, like a college student, was in a car accident and a coma, and my life was nothing but his fever-damaged dreams. This hypothesis is difficult to disprove. I got a 60cc Yamaha Mini Enduro a couple of weeks before my eighth birthday, and for the next seven years, I only got off to refuel or to upgrade. I got a Honda, a RUP, which was technically a downgrade, another Yamaha before landing on a 185 Suzuki dirt bike. It was a beautiful bike. It could climb trees. It could fly, you know, with an aid of a 2x4 and a 55-gallon drum tipped on its side. It could probably operate at depths of up to 20 feet, although I didn't try that. So one day... My little brother Bino and my cousin Danny and I decided to go into the woods. These woods that I'm talking about were referred to locally as the lakes area of central Minnesota. We are not very good at naming things. Growing up, the dirt road was called the dirt road. The first clearing was called the first clearing. The stony hill behind the cabin was called Rocky Mountain. That was about as wild as we got. So going into the woods involved paths that went over exposed roots and through swamps, around down trees, scaring up clouds of dragonflies and shooting up rooster tails of mud. And finally we made our way to a windy, hilly road that beckoned like Le Mans. And I cranked the throttle and I left Bino and Danny in the dust. 
At the top of one of these hills, there was a pickup truck coming the other way. And in a moment, I considered and discarded the idea of going to the left or the right. The truck had side mirrors that stuck out about a yard on each side, and I didn't fancy decapitation. It didn't appear to be jacked up enough for me to safely slide under, so that left going over. So the plan was, a moment before impact, to spring off of the foot pegs, allow the truck to go underneath me, and land in a superhero pose on the other side. So I was dead for about five seconds by the time I got through all of that, which, with the idea of brevity and decorum, we will um, skip over and join my incorporeal body already drifting toward the light. I was about 20 feet up, and I looked down, and I remember I had two thoughts. One, that's got to hurt. And two, notice how the sun through the leaves on the trees causes a dappling effect on the blood-drained face. But I didn't feel like any of these things had anything to do with me. I was going toward the light. And I would have made it, too, if I hadn't remembered that it was my grandmother Pearl's birthday, and we had a picnic planned for later on. <laughs> Knowing that it would kind of put a damper on the afternoon's events, I went back. Having died, I figured um, everything after that was playtime. My idiotic ideas of what playtime are probably diverge from yours. Um, climbing the avalanche chutes of Thunder Mountain in the spring or traversing Nugget Falls, they probably involve more interaction with Juno Mountain Rescue than yours as well. But since we're out of time, we're going to skip right to the moral of the story, which I think is fourfold. Um, number one, emit your barbaric yelp over the rooftops of the world whatever that means. Number two, donate to Juno Mountain Rescue. <laughs> Number three, don't wait until you've died to make time for playtime. In many cases, this proves to be too late. And number four, always wear a helmet. Always, in the shower, at the library, <laughs> Costco, the ice caves, of course. I got hit in the head twice by falling rocks in the ice cave before I went. This would be a good place for a helmet. It was a, a personal best for me. Salmon Derby, First Friday. While watching sports on television, pay-per-view mixed martial arts in particular, but also football and soccer, which is also football, and curling if you're easily excited. <laughs> always, always even perhaps particularly during playtime, remember to wear your helmet. Thanks. All right, our next speaker is Patrick Kortnich. Patrick was born and raised in Montana. A nonconformist from an early age, he naturally skipped college to work at Disneyland and in the Hollywood film industry. Blockbuster film credits in tow, he left LA to pursue something. He didn't know what, so he backpacked through Europe with his best friend Eric, trying to live a life as great as his Instagram feed. It led him to becoming the greatest profession of them all, an accountant. He lived as a bean-counting digital nomad and bounced around the U.S. for a year. Patrick finally realized he needed six-month vacations twice per year, so he moved to Juneau. 
where he now pursues his evolving passion projects to make the world a better place. Please help me welcome Patrick. So yeah, I, rent, I came to Juno to pursue my passions, and one of those passions is to create incredible experiences uh, for other people and tourists primarily, but sometimes it turns out that I will help and make anybody's life better. And I was helping one of my, uh, Eric, I was helping him with the tour, and I was going out to the Mendenhall Glacier Visitor Center uh, to put some lunches in a bus for a private tour, when suddenly this guy came up from behind me, and he said, hey man, can I borrow your phone? And I look behind me, and there's this guy, and he's just like really rough looking. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, okay, sure, here, borrow my phone. And he starts doing his thing. He's ended up calling his ex-wife. I went and did my thing. And when I came back, he just got off the phone. He's like, ah, dang it, she hung up on me. It's just like, oh, well, that sucks. And so he said, can you give me a ride to, the, uh, to my truck over at the Mendenhall Mall? And I said, oh, I guess I'm going over there anyway. I, you know, buy, yeah, I can help you out, sure. I can give you a ride over there. And he said, great. So we hop into my car. and. Uh, he gets into the back seat, and you know we start talking, and he asks me, he's like, oh yeah, what's with all these cop cars around here? I'm like, oh, well, somebody broke into the visitor center this morning. You know anything about that? And he's just like, no, no. I, why would anybody do something like that? I don't know anything about that. I'm like, oh, okay, well, glad, because I don't want to deal with it. And so we start driving, and he was in the back seat, and he immediately got down in the seat. It was that moment when I realized something might be wrong. <laughs> but it was too late. I had to keep going. And so we keep driving along, and he's like, yeah, I'm an ex-convict. I uh, just got out of jail a couple weeks ago. I don't want the cops thinking I did anything to do with this. So I'm just like, okay, we're just going to keep going. And so we go passing by a cop bar car there, a cop car there, and uh, we end up at the Tesaro by the Mendenhall Mall, and he gets out, and... Uh, He's like, hey, man, I really want to thank you. You really helped me out, and I really appreciate it. And a part of me was just like, oh, this guy's such a good heart. He's, like, really thankful and sincere. And then he's like, and do you have any cash I can have to buy some gas? And I'm just like, no. And he's just like, no, I got a watch. I can give it to you. I'm just like, no. He's like, oh, right, whatever. And so he goes, and then I go, go around the block, and I get online, get on my phone. I'm like, I got to check the news. And, uh, you know, I checked two sources. One, I checked Juno Community Collective on Facebook. Great source of news. Somebody was commenting on what the police scanners were saying. And so this guy commented, like, oh, they got the guy cornered in the forest. And, oh, they got him caught. And I just read them, like, yes, I didn't help the suspect after all. This was just a guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Then I went to KTOO, a somewhat more reputable source of news. And um, they had just updated their article, like, two minutes ago, and I read it, it's like, they had the guy cornered in the forest, and then he somehow, they lost him. We don't know where he is anymore. I'm like, oh. okay, I don't have very many options at this point if I'm trying to be like higher moral ground. So I went back to the uh, visitor center, and it turns out there like, weren't any more cop cars that I could find, but I parked my car, and then Thankfully, a cop car came by, and I stopped the cop, and I'm just like, hey, hey, officer, so I may have helped your suspect escape. 
tell me more. So I told him the story that I just told you. And, uh, and so he hands me his phone with a picture. And he's just like, is this the guy? And I just look at it and my heart drops because like, yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> Sorry, officer. Like, he was just so oblivious to what was going on. And he just like, you know, had a good story to go with it that I just decided to help him out. And he's like, well, you live in Juno. That kind of thing happens all the time. You can go now. We'll give you a call if you have any, if we have any questions. And I'm like, okay. And so I uh, get back to my car, go home, and two days later, I hear they catch the guy. And all I can think at that point is, well, another exciting story that I can now be or being an accomplice for a criminal. I can now cross that off my bucket list. Thank you. Our next speaker is George Kuhar, who's best known in Juno for playing shows with his band, Playboy Spaceman. But before playing music in Alaska, George was playing in bars and honky-tonks across Texas and the western U.S. with his Austin-based rockabilly trio, Basin Street. And now, here to tell you one of his favorite stories about playing rock and roll is George Kuhar. Okay, so here's the story. Uh, my band uh, was playing a show in Las Vegas. It was January of 2006. And as usual, we didn't know where we were going to stay that night. And so we played a great show. After the show, we're talking to the people who were in the audience. And our bass player was really the, the big talker in the band. He could talk to anybody at any time about anything, defend any position. He could do it. And so he rounds us up and says, guys, I found us a place to stay tonight. we got to go right now, though. We're like, okay. So we meet up with this lady. Uh, let's call her Linda. And she was older than us. We were, you know, in our mid-20s, early mid-20s. And she was older than us. And she tells us her situation, which was, I just separated from my husband. I'm staying in the travel lodge. I've been there a couple weeks, but come on, let's go. And so we're like, okay. Why would a woman invite four young men who she doesn't know into her place? We didn't think about that. Good. So we get back to her place. Like I said, it's Vegas in the wintertime, so it's cold. And we go, she opens up the door, and she had the heat just cranked on, the kind of heat where you feel it come out and hit you. And it hit us. And it wasn't just the temperature that hit us. It was the smell. Because we go in there, and she has three cats. And apparently, she hadn't put out a litter box for these cats. So it smelled very strong of cat pee. And there was cat poop everywhere. And so, the unprecedented situation. We didn't know what to do. We're uh, awkward. <laughs> like, our drummer seizes the opportunity. He's like, hey, can I take a shower? And she's like, because we've been on the road for days and none of us had showered. So she's like, yeah, go ahead. Right? And then our roadie, Tony, he's like, hey, I'm sleeping in the van tonight. So he goes down. And so now it's me and the bass player, Andrew, and we're talking to Linda. And she immediately wants to ask us what we think about cuddling. <laughs> I'm talking about the big cuddle here, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Our bass player, Andrew, like I said, was the real talker. He could talk to anybody at any time about anything, uphold any position. He just comes right out and says, well, we're celibate. <laughs> we were celibate. That wasn't our choice. <laughs> Four young men from Texas, gosh, in a rock and roll band. So they're, they're uh, having a debate about the virtues of celibacy versus cuddling. <laughs> so I make my, I'm like, I gotta go check, I forgot my nobulator in the van, I'm gonna go check on that. So I go down there and I knock on the window and, and Tony opens up the door and I'm like, dude, we can't stay here. And Tony says, dude, all of our stuff is going to smell like cat piss. I'm like, dude, I'm going to go back up there and I'm going to say, hey, I'm not tired. I'm going to drive to L.A. tonight. Come on, let's go. And so I go back up there and I did just that. We got out of there. She followed us all the way down to the parking lot. I'm like, sorry, no, I'm just not tired. We're going to go. We're going to go. We've got a thing on the radio tomorrow in L.A., so we're going to go ahead and go. And we went and we told everybody for the rest of the tour about, you know, three cats in a litter box. Now, I want to say one more thing, and I almost cut this story. I almost changed my mind because I felt bad for, you know, this, this poor lady who was obviously going through, like, one of the most difficult times of her life. She had separated from her husband and must have been, you know, experiencing some mental health challenges. Why else would she be living in those conditions, right? But I do want to say one more thing, which is that I think probably some of your favorite people in this world have mental health challenges. We just don't talk about that. And it's all those, you know, all the straight-laced normal people that you forget. You know, they're so forgettable. They don't leave an impression on you. It's all the freaks that you remember. She may not remember me. <laughs> right? But I remember three cats and no litter box. You're listening to a recording of Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event on KTOO News Juno. These stories were recorded on September 12, 2017 at the Northern Light United Church. The theme for the evening was Playtime. There's still room in October 10th's lineup themed After the Storm. Curious? Visit mudrooms.org. Next speaker is Liz Villanueva. Liz is a modern-day Vanilla Ice, goofy lyrics, a penchant for baggy pants, an unchanging hairstyle, and all. She's the klutz in a ninja family. She is the fulfilled wife of Dan the Man, proud mother of Kayana and Janie, and a ready mom to many more funky monkeys. Her 20-year stint as a middle school teacher has afforded her opportunities galore to mentor, love, learn, and laughing all the way. Ha, ha, ha. Please help me welcome Liz. 
and I'm reading. Sometimes life is not easy. Make time to play and you will surely see. Happiness sets you free. Despondence X, you will be. A is for appearance. Playtime gets you moving, grooving. People won't always be approving. But if you try to be right, stay right, stay up, look up, look right, then you just might forget to have fun. Be yourself. Unless, of course, you are playing make-believe. Then you might be a princess, a mermaid, a monster, a prince, a pirate, a magician, the president, or whatever you want. Just be in the moment. Remember, play. C is for create. Yellow and blue makes green. Just add some water to your brush and see the spectrum in between. Craft memories, splash through the puddles. Painting old walls can be a chore, or it can be oh so much more, especially if you're with a friend. What you do, there is no end. You are Cinderella, just pretend. You're going to the ball. By the times the floors are swept, clothes get folded, groceries bought and kids are scolded, well, you might just think you've lost your chance. But wait, D is for dance. Close your eyes, feel the beat. Sway your hips, tap your feet. Fill your body, taste the sweet rhythm of the music. Attention! Dance class teaches you to work hard, to develop style and grace. Attention! Dance troops motivate you to be strong, to smile while on stage. Attention! Dance team provides opportunities to excel and to perform as a squad and as an individual. Attention! All of the demands of a dance squad are desired. Components and outcomes of structured playtime. But like he said in the movie, I just want to dance. And playtime, true playtime, relieves and achieves energy. So why not play to exchange energy? E is for energy. And F is for fun. F is for family, food, fishing, and other things that start with F. Like never-ending foosball games in the mansion's basement with the best friends you will ever have in your entire life. F is for forgetting responsibilities and troubles. Not forever, but long enough to feel free, fresh, 
fair. G, games. Playtime is all about games. We used to play this game called Ghost. The whole neighborhood would play, even those boys on the other side of the block that we didn't really like. We loved this game because the whole group could play. In fact, the whole group was needed. Yet, you operated alone. Whoever it was, whoever it was, counted and then looked for us. And we hid in the sun, in the woods, in a sunny spot in the woods if you were lucky. And if you were really lucky, you got to eat plenty of blueberries while you watched everyone. You see, the idea of the game was you followed the person who was it if you were called out, and then someone would wave to you and you could sneak off. And if you got caught three times, you were it. The game worked on honor. H is for honor. The game worked because of it. Cheating was not desired, and playtime can be dampened, not just by a rainy summer, but by those who cheat. We ruled ourselves. We worked out our differences. We found our way together. I is for, I just realized it's time for me to end, to play, and it's your rhyme. Thank you, Liz. I wanted to tell you that we collectively this evening for Project Playground raised $2,584, so please. All right, uh, the other thing I wanted to do is tell you that the only way that this event is successful is that people volunteer to come up here. And we are looking for volunteers for next month after the storm. Now, I know that theme in a town that has so much water around it uh, and has so many darn storms that there's got to be a lot of you out there with a story that's just aching to be told. So please uh, tell somebody, uh, somebody on the storyboard, or please visit mudrooms.org. Okay, for our sixth speaker this evening, Rhonda Jenkins Gardenier. If Rhonda doesn't know you from the academic advising office at UAS or story times at the public libraries or playing with you and your kids at the co-op preschool right downstairs or strumming with you on a ukulele jam or sitting in the lobby of the pool watching our kids swim or from a couple of decades of living and playing in town, she says, it's nice to meet you. Please join us, Rhonda. So when I grew up, there was up the street an elementary school with a playground. 
Good old-fashioned playground with the big tall swings, long chains, swings that you could swing so high. And if you pumped hard enough, you could get up there where you'd look backwards and the whole world would be upside down. They had those long teeter-totters that, yes, if you climbed under it, it might whack you on the head. But you could fit three or four kids on either side and balance on the metal pole. And they had those really exciting merry-go-rounds where you'd grab on and you'd just spin around and around and probably whack you in the head every now and then. But if you got on it and everybody was on it and you could hold and you'd lean back and, and your hair would go flying and you'd just watch the sky circle above you pretty much till you wanted to throw up. <laughs> and most of the time when I'd go up there, I'd end up playing with other kids. And a lot of times there are kids I didn't even know, but it didn't matter. We'd invent games and the equipment and we'd use it in all the ways I'm certain it was never designed to be used. And the more challenging, the better, especially if it felt just a little bit dangerous. But what I really wanted to do, always, was to play with my older brother. And if you're a younger sibling, you understand. And if you're an older sibling, you understand. <laughs> My brother Russ is two years older than me, and he always had a best friend. And I, of course, always wanted to play with them. And they had a knack for not necessarily going to playgrounds, but just like creating their own playgrounds. So when we lived in California, my brother's best friend was John Eisenbacher. And John put up with me, mostly because I think this one time when we were playing, and, or they were playing, and I was nudging in, and I did something. And John gave me a shove, like I'm sure he'd seen Russ shove me about a million times before. And Russ jumped up and pounced on him and said, nobody hits my sister but me. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so anyway, he tolerated me. And in California, where we lived when I was really little, they had this great big grassy hills with the water towers on top. And we had one near our house and we called it Cardboard Hill because the kids would take big pieces of cardboard up and climb up the hill and slide down them because in California that's how you go sledding. But this was just after a while not enough for Russ and John and so they found a big old piece of plywood and a couple of plastic school chairs without legs and made themselves a toboggan. And this thing was heavy, and it definitely took two of them to haul it up to the top of the hill. And I was maybe five or six, there's no way I could haul that thing to the top of the hill, and I probably wasn't very useful helping anybody else haul it to the top of the hill. But I have this memory of riding in it. I do, I mean, I, 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 I know what it feels like. So either, I've come up with three possibilities. I have to talk to my brother and see what he remembers. Either they really did let me sit once. They hauled it up and they let me sit in one of them and slide down. Or, which is maybe a little more likely, they let me stand on the five inches of plywood in the back and hold on to the chair, you know, and ride down with them while they sat in the seats. But, you know, it's entirely possible that at the end of the day, I just sat in it at the bottom of the hill and imagined what it was like. <laughs> with the wind whistling through my hair. <laughs> so we have to fact check that. But it didn't matter because we made a playground out of a big grassy hill and a bunch of like pieces of trash and it was great. And I got to play with the big kids and it was just 
a little bit dangerous. So this past summer, my family got to travel to Europe. We picked up my son from studying language for three weeks in France and proceeded immediately to take him to Italy. And everybody, when we travel, it's democratic, and everybody gets to pick their thing that they want to do. And so Paul, my husband, picked, we got to go to Parma because we want to see where Parmesan cheese, is, Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese, the official cheese, is made. And my son Reed wanted to go and see the Ferrari Museum and the Maserati Museum and the Ducati Museum and, you know. And I found a playground. So I had been doing my... Italy studies on the internet and came across this article of this restaurant, a little cafe, really, that's kind of in the country, and it's just north of Venice. And, and as I was looking at it, there's this whole story about this guy, Bruno, who started this Osteria. And Bruno, you know, just sort of set up shop and then decided that he needed this little fence. So he went to the blacksmith and he asked the blacksmith to make him these hooks so he could hook up some chains to make a little fence. And the blacksmith's like, no, I don't have time for that. So here's how you weld, go make it yourself. So he did. And he thought, cool. I mean, selling food's great, but welding, yeah? And so he kind of did a little bit more studying on how to do this welding thing. And he thought, wouldn't it be great? I can make this great big slide in the back. So when people come to eat food, they can go on this slide in the back. And the slide's like 50 feet in the air, and there's three of them that go down, and it's like really cool. So this is in 1969 that he opens this up and makes this slide. And over the next 45 years, he makes more and more and more rides and proceeds to fill up the woods behind his cafe with this playground amusement park wonderland. But here's the thing. Not only did he make them himself and come up with them out of his imagination, but they're all man-powered, human-powered. No electricity, no fuel, no nothing. And the only thing you have to do to go play is to eat something at his restaurant. You just go get your carafe of wine and your piece of pizza, and then you go play as long as you want. It's awesome. So they've got big slides, little slides. They've got tire swings, rope swings, saddle swings, swings that people you know, spin you around on. They've got rockers and merry-go-rounds and zip lines. And I mean, it goes on and on. He's got roller coasters. No electricity, folks. Roller coasters. And like the smallest one is just this little line of rollers that kind of goes from here to the back of the room. And they're just steel rollers that go down. You put a metal tray and you slide down it and you're, you're like in a factory going on the, you know, the little roller things, you know, brrr, going down the rolls. But some of them are huge. And you, can, you have to climb up and, and push the cart up to the top to go down yourself. And it's awesome. And Paul and I had to go on one that was this big, circle 30-foot round circle cage where you go up and it rocks back and forth and you do the momentum back and forth and as we're ro rocking back and forth and we're making this thing go back and forth I look and I realize that I'm holding onto this rod and the track I'm walking on actually goes all the way around it's like holy cow we could make this go all the way around fortunately we got too tired before I got to test that theory and so we climb back down, and there's this old Italian man in his, you know, his orange vest, the only individual like this I saw in the whole park. And he's probably like 65. And he's just kind of standing there, and I go up and I say, so can you make it go all the way around? 
And he smiles and he nods and he says, see, I could tell you how, but it's hard to stop. And my English, not so good. I'm not sure I could tell you how. <laughs> the only time in our trip when I was like, yes, he doesn't speak English. <laughs> so the playground up the street from our house, it kind of got cleared out with all that good old classic metal, lethal playground equipment, and has a playground with short plastic stuff that pretty much looks like most of the playgrounds. And the water tower with that grass cardboard hill has a big fence around it with barbed wire. But in Italy, there's a park that a guy just thought up and welded himself, and it's great. And it's fun. It's fun because you make it go with your own body. It's fun because you have to get other people to help you make it go. And the more people, the better. And you don't even have to all speak the same language. All you have to do is look at each other and smile and use hand signals. And most of all, it's just a little bit dangerous. Thanks. Our next speaker is Katherine Pusich. Katherine is proud to say she is from the great state of Kansas. She grew up on a 640-acre farm and knows all about hard work, like canning 500 quarts of green beans in a day. In 1988, she decided to leave all that hard work behind and find some adventure instead. She came to Juno, met a Douglas boy, has two children, and works for the Juno School District, where she helps run the National School Lunch Program. She calls Juno home, but she's still a Kansas girl at heart. Please help me welcome Catherine. Well, tonight, it took a lot of time to ponder exactly what to share with you. But I'm going to go with the heart, and the heart tells me to share with you about Project Playground. And like Rachel, on April 24th, I watched the playground burn. And to be honest, I would love to say, oh, you know, it was just all tears. Nope, I was mad. I was upset. But that passed, and then the heartache came. And I was there with some fellow Project Playground Steering Committee members, and we hugged. We cried. But if I were to sit here tonight and talk about it, actually, if I just were to shut my eyes and tell you the things that passed before my eyes when I watched that playground burn, it started with Becky Iverson telling me about Project Playground and, oh, you should get on that steering committee. You'd be great. That flashed. I think about all the fundraising we did, which for me, it was kind of my playtime. It was, we had a blast, we did it, we worked together. It was rewarding, we were doing something that was gonna be amazing. If I continue to close my eyes, I'm gonna tell you mainly the memories of the two week build in May of 2010 and how Oh my goodness, the community that came out. 
and how they had the same dream that you had, and that's amazing. I can't begin to tell you what that must feel like. We had captains that came to help run the construction project. I'll still remember Bruce Hoffman logging in thousands of tools that you guys probably brought to him to help build this playground. Every morning during the build, our seven o'clock meetings, I'd look around at these men and women that stopped their lives, basically, for two weeks to make this thing happen. And then I can tell you the memories of watching community members, you, all of Juno, come out and build this playground. There were, there were people everywhere doing all sorts of tasks. And somebody, some people might say it was just chaotic, but it wasn't. And the thing I remember the most out of all of it was your smiles. There was laughter. There was huge smiles. I will never forget the smiles of how happy people were to be part of this community-built playground. The pickets that were sold, the components that were bought, I have to admit, I, I took ownership of it. I think we all did. We all kind of called it maybe my playground because we helped build it. We bought a component. We bought a picket. It kind of, you took some ownership of it. And the story goes a little bit deeper because I have this community here and, and how all of our stories kind of intertwine. But on a more personal note, this project, well, I don't know how I really, I know Becky, Becky Iverson got me involved, but let me tell you a little bit, kind of my background, just really quick. I'm not joking about the 500 quarts of green beans. I have a father that didn't take no for an answer about anything. When we saw roadblocks, he saw possibilities. And I have to admit, you know, Maybe it's just kind of natural. He took a, a 30, well, 100-year-old pig barn that had sat empty, gutted it, and turned it into a 22-bedroom bed and breakfast, and ran it for almost 30 years and passed it on now to the next generation. There was nothing that Tom Ryan did that was like, you know, don't say no to him. He can get it done. So I really believe I got a little bit of that from him. And it's, it seemed like a mammoth job to do this playground. Nobody was a naysayer. It was a lot of work. There was no naysayers out there that said, oh, you can't do that. That's what I love about this community. We came together for this project. It was phenomenal. Now, so even though I had a great time doing it, and I watched it burn, and a part of me was like, you can't imagine when you start thinking about the hours of time and effort, ordering the equipment, organizing the food that came to feed all the volunteers. I just, it was a huge job. 
And I sit here and I almost kind of was like, oh my gosh, I wanted to just give up. I couldn't believe this has happened. Let's just, it's done, it's over. But yet I think I have my father sitting on my shoulder and his advice would be, dust yourself off, Catherine, and get out there and do it again and quit whining. And I have to say, now I'm back involved with some of my old steering committee. You're not old, but you know, <laughs> we're back together. And this community is so amazing. And it's such, it was such a rewarding thing to be involved in. I would say, come out there next summer, join us. It doesn't matter how little or how small, but I can guarantee you that you'll get addicted to it and you'll want to come back day after day when we go to build this. So you want to have more playtime kids and even grown-ups like that playground. Let's get it done next summer. Let's build it again, our version two of Project Playground and um, come together as a community and get it done. Thank you. This is KTOO News Juno 104.3 FM. The stories you just heard were recorded on September 12, 2017. The theme for the evening was Playtime. To tell your story or to find out about the next live event, visit mudrooms.org. Audio production by Rich Moniak. Additional help from Alita Buss, Tom Cosgrove, Pat Roach, Steve Suing, Sarah Hannon, and Melissa Griffiths. Music by Najuzu Marimba Band. I'm Amanda Compton. Have a good night.